What are some good ways to pay your tithe obligation to maximize your bottom line and keep more in the bank? Welcome to the Transformative Duff. My name is Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Today we are on page 44 of Tractate Nadarim, and we learn that charity shouldn't feel like a burden or a tax. It's an incredible opportunity. Welcome to the Transformative Duff, and thank you for being my Chavrissa today. I like to begin with the story. Rev Dessler once visited Jerusalem. While he was there, he wrote to his students in England detailing his amazing experiences. One of his observations was the great poverty that exists in the Holy City. Nevertheless, his heart was warmed by a relatively prosperous individual who was particularly generous. Every child he would marry off, he would first visit the local orphanage and provide ten orphans with new suits and dresses. Take note, Rev. Dessler wrote, what incredibly fine character traits these Jerusalemites have. On the day of their simcha, they're not only thinking about themselves and their own sons and daughters, they're also concerned about making Hashem's children happy, and only with such an attitude will they enter into their personal celebrations. Nevertheless, Rev. Dessler was curious to know the quality of the suits the fellow provided for the orphans. He took a peek and was happy to see that the garments weren't schmatters. At the same time, however, they weren't really top quality. And so he decided to approach the man and offer the following words of Musser. My dear friend, you know the top quality suits that you wear? In terms of total wear time, we're talking once or twice a week for a year or two. Now compare and contrast that with the suits that you've most generously clothed the orphans with. You know how often they'll wear them? Every hour of every day for the next number of years. Now, do you think the average quality will suffice for that kind of usage? Let's look at today's Gemara. One who declares his field ownerless for the entire three days after that declaration, he is able to retract. From that point forward, he is unable to retract the declaration. This is the reason that one cannot retract the declaration once three days have passed, so that the halachic status of ownerlessness would not be forgotten. If so, then let the sages institute that the item is considered ownerless even from the first day as well, and that he cannot retract his declaration at all. Rabbah said it is due to the cheaters, who declare their fields ownerless in order to render the produce of the field exempt from the requirement of tithing, and then retract that declaration and immediately reclaim the field. Let's analyze the Gemara. A farmer is obligated to separate certain gifts and tithes from his field, one-fiftieth to the Kohen, one-tenth to the Levite, and various gifts for the poor. And we learn from the verse, And the Levite shall come, for he has no share and inheritance with you, that only a field belonging to you is obligated in gifts and tithes. An ownerless field belongs to everyone equally and has no such requirement. Algamara discusses people who would use this law as a tax loophole. They would declare their fields ownerless, thus simultaneously relinquishing both ownership and the obligation of the various gifts and tithes. They would then immediately reclaim the field, but now it's considered a field that they have acquired at the culmination of the agricultural growth cycle, since they weren't officially the farmers of this newly acquired field, they are no longer obligated to separate and allocate the gifts and tithes. To avoid such activity, the sages declared that fields must be ownerless for three days before this loophole would kick in. That would provide sufficient time for others to stake a claim in the field, thus disincentivizing cheating behavior. Strictly speaking, however, such gifts and tithes are not really a tax. 
A farmer has a religious obligation to separate them, but nobody's policing whether he picked up his dropped sheaves or left them for the poor to collect. It's completely between him and God, and surely God knows if his declaration of ownership was insincere. So why would a cheater bother with the whole charade? If he doesn't want to give the gifts and tithes, nobody can force him to do it anyway. A colleague mentioned recently that he gets a lot of shyness about matters of kashrus, taras mishpacha, and shabbos, but he gets very few shyness about miser. In other words, he gets inquiries in the area of ritual halacha, but far less in the realm of material and economic life. When it comes to charitable giving, he opined, his congregants seem to be able to make their own personal halachic decisions. He asked me how I felt. I responded that that had not been my experience. Over the years, I've received a ton of questions about tzedakah, ranging from using MISA funds for synagogue membership to school tuition to caring for aged parents. I'm always so moved by the inquiries. It wasn't that these people wanted to get out of giving tzedakah. They most certainly wanted to give as much as God expected of them and fulfill their humanitarian duty towards those in need. But with limited income and the extraordinary expenses that come with Jewish life, they just needed guidance on how to make it happen without breaking the bank. The problem with the cheaters in our Gemara is that they're not really interested in giving tzedakah. They don't care for those in need. They view the gifts and tithes as nothing more than a tax that they would like to avoid if they can. They don't think of themselves as stingy. They would never consider dodging their charitable responsibilities. What they're doing is completely legal. They recast their perception of themselves as clever. They've beaten the system. While these cheaters sound like contemptible human beings, we all have areas of our Yiddishkeit where we risk falling into the same trap. Many of us treat Torah mitzvahs like unwanted rules and regulations. The problem with such an attitude is that when it comes to rules, we all like to look for loopholes. Sometimes dispensations with proper rabbinic guidance are necessary, but if you're always looking for the way out of every mitzvah, then you need to ask yourself why you're even going to all the trouble to begin with. The Almighty didn't give us Torah mitzvahs to burden us. He wanted to invigorate us, giving us purpose and a way to connect with Him. Every mitzvah is an opportunity to bond with our Father in Heaven. Why would anyone want to squirm his way out of connecting with the Almighty? It's not a burden, it's an honor. Don't declare your heritage ownerless. You're only cheating yourself. May you capitalize on every opportunity to connect with heaven and enjoy your special gift every step of the way, wishing you a transformative day. Thank you for tuning into the Transformative Duff Podcast with Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Whether you've been doing Daf Yomi for years or you're not quite ready to commit but want to be part of the Daf Yomi global movement, there's something in the transformative Daf for everyone. It's about joining the conversation. It's about talking over the Daf with your family, your friends, your colleagues. It means never being short of a discussion starter or a meaningful Dvar Torah. Every page of the Gemara, every word, every letter contains the secrets of the universe to achieving a life of simcha and purpose. Transform your life today. The Transformative Daf is published by Mosaica Press and available at all good Jewish bookstores and online from mosaicapress.com. Thank you, The Transformative Daf.